followed the prayer of Daniel. He, he started with how great you are, how awesome you are. We praise you. You are worthy. And so tonight we do just that because you are. You are worthy. And tonight of all things we on this Thanksgiving week should be thankful for, it is you and it is Jesus. And so we know it is our salvation that has has made us who we are, and we couldn't be more thankful tonight. So we come to you, and we are ready for a, a tough reveal. And we might not leave here under, understanding everything, but, Lord, we know that you will, you will give us a glimpse of what we need to see. So may our hearts be prepared. May they be open. May we receive what you have. And, Lord, we will not forget to thank and praise you again when it's over. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, this is my Bible, right? This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Yes. Well, we are in, like I prayed, it is a tough lesson. It really is. And I'm sure that you are counting on having everything made clear to you tonight. And I'm going to tell you right now that I don't think there is a way we can totally understand everything in here. But we are going to learn, learn what, what he wants us to know. And I think it's territory that most don't go. And this is a chapter that I really feel that um, it's so easy to say, nah, let's skip it. And we're not skipping it. So um, in your Bibles, please, to chapter 10. Now, last week, remember, Daniel had, he was, he was studying his scriptures and he ran across Jeremiah 25 and 29 and he all of a sudden learned, hey, you know, we're running to the 70 years. Then, then the promise is that he's going to send us back. And so he is, he's kind of calculating that and he's thinking about that and it drew him into such an earnest, uh, such a deep prayer and, and was it was beautiful he poured out his heart you could tell how intense he was he he had sackcloth and ashes he pleaded it said and he he went to the lord and he started by saying you are so great you are awesome we're in awe of you and then remember when we put the lord in his place it's like he puts a mirror in front of his throne and all of a sudden we see ourselves and then he comes right out with we have sinned we haven't listened we haven't obeyed and now the consequences and and so the prayer i mean it was such a beautiful model prayer and i hope you don't ever forget and i hope you go over it many times and you hear that that's what made daniel who he was he was such a man of god's word he was such a man of of prayer he was such a, a disciplined 
I mean, he, he worked at it. I mean, how do you not start as a, a young, young teenager of 13 and now tonight he's like 85 or something like that and you've lived your whole life in this exile and, and in positions. I mean, he was put in positions. How do you not get sucked up into that? How do you stay so faithful? And we have seen, we've seen this pattern. He didn't buy into it. He kept hearing the Lord in his lifestyle. Like, this is, this is what I command. This is what I expect. And, and he, he prayed formally three times a day. He stayed connected to his God. All of these things are such lessons for us. We want to be like Daniel. Well, it takes work. It takes discipline. And, and then, then we saw the two prophecies. Remember? Two prophecies. One that pertained to um, near events that now we can look back and see how it was fulfilled. The, the, the um, prophecy of Jesus coming and how, how he said how um, Daniel, um, when he heard Gabriel tell him that this, that this anointed one would be cut off. And I mean, we know that it was Jesus crucified. And then, and then he said, um, even though Jesus came to, to um, deal with sin, he, he came so that um, we have the choice and the possibility of, of being bought back, being redeemed and being changed, and but there's still, it's not the end time. There's still going to be evil and wickedness. And then how that led to future prophecy of what we're in the middle of. Um, I, I said something this morning. I'm going to say it again. You know, sometimes these lessons can kind of um, be a little nerve-wracking. And we think of, you know, we, we don't understand how the whole end times thing will totally develop. We, we are given enough to know, and we cannot not study it because we need to be prepared and ready. But um, I thought there is nothing more comforting than to know that right now, as realistic as Daniel is to our today, I think we can know from what we've learned from Daniel 1 to 9 that, that even though this 10, 11, and 12 is now kind of be one kind of unit, and we're going to see this huge vision about a great war, and we are in the middle of, of God's plan. And even though we're, our world is just as about as worse as we've ever seen it, I don't think it's going to be getting any better because it's just falling into God's plan. We are in the middle of God's plan. So we have to know for our own sake that, that, we, that we're, we're in cement. Our relationship, our, our future, our, our salvation, it's in cement. It's not going anywhere. And that... That should be such a comfort, such security, such a relief that when the world rocks around us, we're in the middle of God's plan. And he's just getting it all ready. Because just, I mean, haven't you learned this so far? That at just the right time, when it looks like evil has won, it's like he shows up in such a unique way. In fact, I think maybe tonight you're going to see Daniel um, 
with such a heavy heart. In fact, uh, here, here we go. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was also known as Belshazzar. Now, its message, please, please, underline, do whatever. No, this message is unique and as, um, I mean, Oh, I don't know other, another word for it, but this, and we're going to unfold it more next week. Um, and I know if you've looked ahead, uh, you already saw that we're doing 40 verses next week. And so if that concerns you, um, I will have it down. So uh, Tom's already, he's already been nervous. He's already wondering how long we're going to be here next week with 40 verses. And, and then I might as well tell you the truth. Then he said to me, but I looked farther. And the final chapter of Daniel is only 13 verses. He was so glad about that. And then he's, I said, well, then I bet we'll be out of there probably about 10 to 7. And he's, oh, no, you'll have to review the whole thing. That's what he said. I thought, good, I'm glad you know that. So anyway, I understand that this, this 10, 11, 12 is a unit. And this 10 is kind of like a, a, pre, a prerequisite. It's kind of like a, a warning. It's like, get ready. Get ready. Get yourself um, in a, the right frame of mind so you're ready to accept because this is quite a final fourth vision for Daniel. And uh, it said its message, its message was true. Now, true in God's word means exactly that. We can, we can look at it and we can... Um, we can do our best to understand it, but we do not ever have to doubt that it's not true. So it is true. In fact, that last verse of this chapter kind of says it too, that, uh, that um, we are going to learn from the book of truth. So that's so good, isn't it, to know that we're not studying a book that is either wishy-washy or that, you know, I don't know, might not be true, but Yes, these words are true. Now, Daniel, um, he, he is ready. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned. He mourned. He, he's, um, he was very burned. Now, we know this vision is going to be about a great war. In understanding this message came to him in a vision. And he, he is so burned. He, in fact, is so burdened that he, we, he kind of put himself away. He kind of set himself apart for three weeks. Look at it says, he mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So he was... He was really concerned. We know how his prayer life is. We learned that last week. Can't you see this beautiful order? I mean, we wouldn't have known probably or even pictured him. I mean how intense and how earnest he is in his prayer life. But now for three weeks, 21 days, he set himself and he, he, he poured himself out to the Lord. And, and why was he so burdened? Now, uh, could be one of two reasons. He's, he's burdened and he set himself away because um, 
See, we've gone through uh, four four uh, kings already. Remember, it's Nebuchadnezzar, um, it's it's Belshazzar of Babylon. Then we then we did Darius the Mede, and now we're in with Cyrus the Persian, and and uh, Cyrus. Now we're in the third year of Cyrus, and so it's been. I don't know, quite a few years since we had last week's lesson, really. But now it's the third year of Cyrus when he has this final. I mean, he, Cyrus already has let some of Israel go back. So the 70 years is really up. And part of, of Israel, some of the group has gone back. Now, it was just a few that went back. And they get to Jerusalem. They see how devastated it is. They see the wall down and, and they don't have what it takes and they're discouraged. And, you know, it's probably Daniel hears about this and he's thinking, oh, he has such a burden for these people. And he's thinking, oh, Lord, you know, what can we do to start this rebuild? And But he also could be very much burdened because of the very few people that started to go back. The majority of people do not go back. This is concerning. It was to Daniel. It is to me. And we're going to get more into it. But just, just kind of know that he has a very good reason to be heavily burdened for his people in one way or the other. So he puts himself away for three weeks. And then on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite. And I looked that up and it's like a golden stone. So Basically, his body was like a golden stone, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. That's detailed. He, on the 24th day of the first month, he was standing there. I mean, here, this is, this is a vision. He, it's real. It's detailed. He says, I saw, I, I looked up, and there was this, it was, it was like a man. And there was before me a man dressed in linen. Who is that? Who is that person? And, and uh, when you tie the Old and New Testament, you can't help but see in Revelation chapter 1, you cannot help but see that when John, and I don't think it dawned on me until this week, that where was John when he, when he heard and wrote and when he saw the revelation? Where was he? On the island of Patmos as an exile. And so here John is exiled and Daniel is in exile. And when they, Daniel's alone and, and um, John is alone and they both turn. Remember, they turn and they focus in and and John, when he turned, it says in Revelation 1, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like us, the son of man. 
dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, his white as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. You know, I, I can't help but think that this is the pre-incarnate Christ that Daniel saw. And who did John see? He saw the risen, ascended Messiah. The one who, who is, is um, majestic and who is at the right hand and, and who John saw him and Daniel saw it has to be the pre-incarnate Christ. And I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless now, did that remind you of a New Testament story when you know that someone saw Jesus and he was knocked to the ground and his men around did not see and he was smitten blind and for three days he was alone? It's just, this is not coincidence. And you think of Paul when he needed to, to see Jesus. Oh, he was so religious, but he didn't know Jesus. And so Jesus came to him. Paul, why are you, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was knocked to the ground and he was blinded three whole days. Will you talk about having something to think about? And here, Daniel, John, when you, you could pretty much see them all react the same and says that his strength left him, his face turned deathly pale, and I was, and my face was turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. His face is to the ground. And then this is what John, when John saw him, verse 17, chapter 1 of Revelation, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. I don't think you and I can really totally um, fathom what it's like. I mean, someday we will. Someday we will see. But right now it's hard in our finiteness that what it must be like when you are given a vision of Jesus and you see him in all of who he really is. And, and, and look at the reactions. They, there's nothing to say. They, they don't have any words. It's beyond that. And you, you see you are so humbled. Now, you can take or leave this because I just, it might or might not be. I was just trying to tie scriptures together and I was trying to um, figure out. Um, to me, this, this man, this son of man, I, I, I really don't have any doubt from, from the scriptures that it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. But then there's a, there's, a little, there's a little question mark here. I thought, could there be that, that 
Gabriel is also here. And because of a, a future verse that we're going to get into in a minute. So just kind of keep in mind, because when, when Daniel says that in verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, who did, that was last week. That was last week when Gabriel was sent to, to um, help Daniel understand the, the meaning of, this, of his previous vision and the prophecies. And this is the way Gabriel talked. He used the same kind of terms. And that word high esteem, two words. Um, I checked two other versions, and I, I like them better. And let me see if you do. When it says, you are highly esteemed, another version said, you are treasured. Um, another version was, you are greatly loved. Um, I don't know, for me personally, the high, you, are high, you are highly esteemed. I mean, I know that it means I see your heart and I love your heart and that, but highly esteemed almost makes like he's better than. And, and Daniel has to accept and know God just the way we do. We're all sinners saved by grace. And I think when you, when you hear the words, you are highly esteemed, and change it to you are treasured. Doesn't that sound more like Jesus? Doesn't that sound like more that that's the way he would talk to you? You are so treasured. You are so greatly loved. And uh, um, so anyway, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up for I have now been sent to you. So, and this, again, reminded me of last week when Gabriel said, I've been sent to you, and stand up. Stand up. I want you to stand up. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Well, anytime you would see an archangel, whenever anybody in Scripture had a visit by an angel, they all seemed to tremble or they had that same kind of um, unbelievable experience. And it is not just an everyday run of the mill. And I don't think that an angel looks like the Son of Man. I don't think they look like a man. There are creatures that God created for specific purposes. And so anyway, um, it says, then it continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Isn't that isn't that so good to know? Since the first day, since the very, remember last week we said, what is the first prayer? I know God hears everything, but that first prayer that you prayed, when is the first prayer he hears? When is it that you connected with him for the first time? And that is your salvation prayer. And here it says, since you since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. Doesn't that sound like your salvation day? When you know you've humbled yourself because you know you finally have seen yourself for what you really are. And, and you've humbled yourself. 
before your God, before the cross, your words were heard. Your words were heard and I have come to in response to them. I have come in response. If you have any doubt that prayer isn't important or that that connection with him is, is not that big a deal, then you just have to hear this. I mean, when you hear whether, whether this is Jesus or whether this is now the angel Gabriel, um, whatever, whoever is speaking this, to know that, that God hears your prayers and it's because of your prayers he's going to respond. Now, how do we know he responds? He responds either yes, no, or wait, but he does respond to our prayers. And then he says... I've come to answer. I've come to respond. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Uh-huh. Look at how, look how long Daniel had set himself away for 21 days. And how he didn't give up. I wonder if he had given up. Wonder after, you know, even after one whole day of, of praying intensely and earnestly, after one day, when you think, well, that's it. And he persisted 21 days. And now you look at this and, and who is ever speaking, and if you can kind of just picture Gabriel saying this, he said, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. The prince the prince of the Persian kingdom. That is not the, the leader of the Persian kingdom. The prince of the Persian kingdom is a supreme evil being that's working in the heavenly realms. We have two realms going on here. And this is what's new territory for a lot of us. There's the earthly realm, which we are in, and we see very clearly what's going on. But there's also a heavenly realm, a heavenly realm that we can't see clearly. Only through scripture can you know that there is a heavenly realm where a battle is going on, where there are the messengers of Satan fighting for us, the God's children, fighting for um. Uh, they're fighting the angels of the Lord. There's a battle that's going on in the heavenly realms. And and it it became clear to me this week, because how often don't we blame the conditions and the culture of our world? Don't we blame, oh, if if we had had a different president, if if so-and-so wasn't in Congress, if those senators would, you know, and we've got everybody blaming. We're looking at people, and it's their fault. Now, I want you to hear this verse that you know, you know so well. But now, when you compare it with Daniel 10, it makes perfect sense. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul said that. 
And so we are not fighting. You can blame all you want. You can blame this person and that person and, and that, that leader and that, that world, that, that, um, that kingdom or whatever we've been seeing in these chapters. You can, but do you realize that they're just being pawns of the devil? Because they don't have Jesus. They don't have that greater power within them than he that is in the world. Then they are going to be run by the enemy. That's what Satan so cleverly does. He uses his messengers and, and his his fallen angels and his people. He uses, he uses them and he just takes countries and empires and leaders and culture. It just makes perfect sense to me as I look into the culture of today and I think, yeah, when people don't have Jesus, when they don't know the difference, when they don't have that greater power to work against evil, you are a sucker to it and you just gravitate to it. And so I'm starting to look at, at people that I used to blame and say, oh, it would be so different if so-and-so was, was in power or if whatever. You know, I'm thinking, no, you know what? We're, I'm in the middle of God's plan. And these poor people are just pawns to the enemy himself. And he's the one. Have you ever, have you ever um, read the book? 35 years ago, 1986, Frank Peretti wrote a book called This Present Darkness. And it was, it's fiction, but he took it from Ephesians 6, verse 12 that I just read. And he wrote a novel, but it is so insightful. I read it 35 years ago. I still have it. I took it out this week. My pages are yellow. I mean, that's a book of a long time ago. And he, he, he helped me through fiction, though, to see, kind of get a visual of what is going on in the heavenly realms. Like this prince of Persia. There was, um, there was an evil force, uh, like a leader, a leader in the heavenly realms that was in charge of causing this empire to be as ungodly and as evil as they were. And they didn't even realize that they were under his control. When Nebuchadnezzar and when Belshazzar, you know, when they were just on their rooftops praising themselves and walking around thinking that they were sovereign and they, their empire was the controlling of the world. No, they were just really, if they only knew they were just pawns, they were just being used by the devil. And so Frank Peretti kind of helped me to understand this a little bit, but I never really studied it in, in the context of Daniel. But then two years later, um, he wrote a sequel called Piercing the Darkness. And this time, he kind of assumed that we understood what he was trying to get across, that we now visualize there is a heavenly realm that's trying to get us to go astray, trying to get um, Jesus to be ineffective. And he used three examples 33 years ago. When I think back, you know, I think 35, 50 years ago, I mean, we were almost like leave it to beaver days, you know. We kind of, and I don't mean to be silly, but um, it, it was so different and how quickly things have changed and how he had the, the prophetic 
mind that the Lord had given him, and he used three things to say that Satan was going to use to change the culture of our day and age. You know, back then, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's right, this is fiction. And, but now I look back, and you know what the three things are? What would change the culture of our day and age? He, he said, the first one will be the news. And how we are learning that the news will tell us what they want us to know. And the second thing is, he said, uh, we're going we're gonna to watch the um, deterioration of the family. I mean, look at how, how, how broken families are. Look how dysfunctional families are now. And how that was all part of Satan's ploy to break down the families. And how did he do that? And he said the third one was the school system. I mean, aren't you aghast at when you think about what is going on and what's being taught to even young children and what is being pushed upon them nowadays? So between the news and the schools and the breakdown of the family, that changed the culture, the face of, of, our, of what we're living today. In such a short time, we went from that Andy Griffith Mayberry, leave it to beaver kind, the, the um, Dick Van Dyke show, and, you know, those things that we used to watch that were so wholesome. In such a short period of time, we watched Satan use those three things to absolutely change our culture. And so, I mean, to say that we, we stick our head in the sand and not want to hear any of this, no, it's just too obvious and so here, this is what I think Daniel is trying to say and how he is, he is hearing the words about the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted Gabriel for 21 days. I mean, there was a fight going on. There was a battle going on. And this is why I think it is not Jesus is speaking right here because it says, Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And I don't, I don't hear Jesus needing help. But um, so that was another clue to me that it probably was Gabriel because in, in um, Revelation and in Jude 9, the, the, you hear about that Gabriel and Michael, they're kind of like a team. And Michael was the warrior. I mean, this isn't fiction. Hey, Frank Prady might wrote fiction even though he used it from the resource of God's word. But um, it is true. We just read it. This is true. We have to hear it. We've got to know this is above us. We've got to know that, that there is a battle. The Lord is sending his warriors on our behalf. The book of Hebrews says that. We all have one. We all have one. And so instead of, of um, trying to understand this and getting confused and even spooky and, and this is science fiction and all that kind of thing, no, no, he wants us to know I secure my people, but I want them to know that there is a battle going on and that's why we're going to read Ephesians 6 
We are in a battle. We're in a battle here for standing up for the truth, but above us in the heavenly realms, there, there is war going on for us. And there is an evil one that's trying to make pawns out of people and to, to get them to try to um, either not see the cross and, and not ever accept a savior or he's trying to get Christians to even be so weak that they're not effective. To deny that is just senseless. It's just, it's just not smart because he is trying to show us of the warfare that's out there, but that it's a good thing for us. But we have to do our part now. Watch what happens to Daniel. It says here, now I've come, in verse 14, now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. The vision we're going to study next week will we'll start at the time of Daniel and go all the way to the second coming. I mean, we've seen, we've seen glimpses of that. I mean, how many times do we see in Daniel so far that the evil leaders and the evil kingdoms do not last? I mean, we've already seen Babylonia turn into the to the. Um, Persian Empire, and then now tonight we're going to even see a prophecy in 200 years about, it says, the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, will be taken over. And we look back and we say, yep, that's just how it happened. So he has proven to us from Daniel 1 to now that it's going to happen. And last week with the prophecy it extending, you know, it says, You've already seen it. The same thing is going to happen. Um, someone's going to rise up and act like they're the hero, and they're going to they're going to say they bring peace. And and but oh, I love that last verse of last week's lesson where it says that on a wing of, of the temple he will set up an abomination and cause desolation until the end. Until the end. There's always an end when we think evil wins. It doesn't. And in, a, in our final days, whether we're here or not, whether we experience it or not, we just know this is the way that God's going to bring on the new world, the new heaven, the new earth. And, and he says, until the end that is decreed. In Revelation, it is decreed that this particular evil one is going to go down. The decree is poured out on him. He will be thrown into hell. Evil will be banished. We can live in that. Why do you think he gives us just a glimpse? Doesn't say understand it all. Gives us a glimpse to know and proof that we can hold on to this. Because if it happened before, it'll happen again. You can hold on to this. This is your hope. So now this is this this particular vision is gonna it's gonna start at Daniel's time and then go all the way to the second coming of Christ. Now look at verse fifteen and see how things change a bit. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Verse sixteen. See now then, one who looked like a man 
See, he doesn't say that in verse 10 when he said, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees and said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. You know, that's what got me to think that that was an angel. It probably was Gabriel. I used the same kind of terms. And he said, and I had to call Michael. So now, though, now he says, I, I, was, I bowed my face toward the ground. with was speechless. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision. My Lord, I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you? My Lord, my strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. Have you been, has life just overcome you? I think we all know what that feels like. It happens, and, and now I look at this and I think, Daniel, it even happened to you. I, he, is, he says, I'm overcome. I'm overcome with anguish about these things. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. And again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. See, I don't see an angel having the ability to do that. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But now I think this because he distinguished twice now right here. The, the one who touched me, he was the one that was like this is the son of man. He was like a man. This is that one that I was talking about before. The one I saw that I could describe by detail. Now he's speaking to me and I am overcome. He's honest. He's open. I'm overcome with this anguish. I don't have any strength. I can't even hardly breathe. Sometimes we look at our world and we look at our culture and we even look at, um, you know, the way television is gone and the way our, the, way our, the textbooks are teaching children and, and it's just, it's overcoming. And you think, is there any hope? I mean, is it just too far gone? Do we just give up? I think this is what Daniel felt. I'm just overcome with anguish. I can't breathe. It bothers me so much. I just feel zapped. My strength is just zapped. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, oh man, highly esteemed. Do not be afraid, you treasured one. Do not be afraid, you who are greatly loved. Do not be afraid, the one that I can see your heart. Don't be afraid. And then he said this word, look, with an exclamation point, peace. Now, I only know one person that can truly give peace. And we know that to be the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. He's the one that can give true peace. And that's what he says here. When Daniel just admits, I don't know. I, I'm just overcome. I don't think I can go on any farther. I can't even breathe. I don't have any strength. And do not be afraid. Peace. Be strong now. You know, I think 
when, when he said peace, and then when he said be strong now, I think that that little space after that exclamation point and then the letter B, I think there's a little white space there. And I think just enough time for Daniel when he heard the word peace and to hear the one say the word peace because he, he was giving him his strength back. When he heard the word peace in that little bit of space, I think Daniel said, oh, yeah, that's right. How many times don't we need to get brought back to that point? Oh, yeah, that's right. The world just kind of overwhelmed me. The, the news and, and the dysfunctional family and all the things that are going on. And, and it's just too much. And you hear the word peace. And in that little space, when you say, oh, yeah, that's right, the Holy Spirit can work in that little time and help you recall what you've learned. And what have we learned in Daniel? That there is an evil leader, an evil kingdom, an evil culture that's going to stand. Remember when he said, but there will rise a kingdom that will be and live forever? Yes, Daniel, forever, he said. I mean, I have seen it over and over just when you think in the heaviness of these pagan empires and just when you see, and even in Daniel's life here, just when you see that he thinks, I just, I don't think I can handle anymore. I'll tell you, Jesus shows up. And you hear the word peace. Be strong now. Be strong because in that little white space, and you recall what the Holy Spirit has taught you, and then, oh, yeah, that's right. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am not going to believe it and get caught up in that. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength, I am ready to listen to you. I am ready to hear the truth. I am ready to not crumble under the pressure. Bring it on. I almost, that's what I almost heard him say. You have given me my strength. Since you have given me strength, Bring it on. Bring the truth on. I want to know. Because remember how we have said in the past lessons how David, you know, he, it was like he wanted to know the truth. He wanted to hear it. He did not, he did not stick his head in the sand. I want to know. I want to be prepared. I want to be ready. I don't want to be ignorant of this. I mean, those were words that, that Paul used. I don't want you ignorant of this, my brothers. I want you to know. And I, I think, in fact, I know here, once you feel that strength resurge in you and you feel his strength resurge in you, you just bring it on. I am ready to know the truth. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. You know, it almost makes me see how the Lord himself fights for me. He fights for you. He fights for our soul. And he, he will ultimately win. But it's, it's, not, it's not easy. 
There is a battle that's raging good and evil. I mean, we just, you know, we just think it's just simple right and wrong. No, it's good versus evil. And there's forces. So I don't know if this entered your mind, but when I became aware in the reality of a heavenly realms, then it kind of it kind of struck me and I thought, well, you know, then you know, in my mind, I always thought heaven, when I sent my mom and dad to heaven, I, I thought, oh, good. Now, yeah, they're in a better place. And they are, but, but I was thinking heaven. And now I'm in the heavenly realms. I'm thinking, well, are they a part of all this, this commotion that's going on, this battlefield that's going on for the earthly, for the, those on earth? In the heaven, in the earthly realms, it just concerned me, and then I, I kept thinking about it, and I first came clear with one thing, and that was, that's why we need in Revelation twenty-one. After all, evil in Revelation twenty has been put into hell, and all evil is gone. No wonder Revelation 21 starts with, and John said, I saw, I heard, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, we need a new heaven as well as a new earth. Now, because all evil is gone. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's right, because in Job 1, Satan, you know, it was very clear that Satan came to the Lord and the Lord said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm just kind of browsing around, see who's my next candidate. And then the Lord said, well, have you considered my servant Job? Ooh, that just rubs you the wrong way. But the Lord says, no, I want him better. I want him better than he even is now. Because I looked at Job when I read Job chapter 1, I thought, do they come any better? Apparently so. The Lord says, um, have you considered my servant Job? Because I want him better than he is now. That's why the Lord lets these testings go on. Because he knows that we can get to know him and we can be better than we are now. And I'm thinking to myself as I read this, and Satan can get there and talk to the Lord? You know, you, you read and you hear about the story of Job, but when you read these details, did you ever think, well, how in the world did he get there? Because the Lord didn't come to him. Satan went to him. And the Lord says, what are you doing here? And, you know, it just makes sense to me that we need a new heaven when all evil is gone, even a new heaven. But where's my mom and dad? Where are your loved ones? All I think we need to know, because this gives me peace. This gives me strength. Do I have all the answers? Do I know where they are exactly? No, all I know is this one verse, and that is to be absent in the body, is to be present with the Lord. Somehow he has got our loved ones safe, and they're not a part of this spiritual warfare. They're not a part of the war that's going on in the heavenly realms. Our loved ones are with Jesus. And to me, that's all I need to know. Those souls are just being protected until the resurrection. And the new bodies are then brought to the soul, and then we begin our forevermore with him. I mean, this it's almost... Too much for words, I think. 
But this is what we live in. This is, he's given us enough truth from his word. I'm not making this up. I'm just telling you what's in his word. And he's given us enough. If we're willing to dig and find out, he's given us enough to give us that hope to hang on. I don't have to have all the answers. He said they're with the Lord. Okay, that's fine with me. And he also says that someday on the resurrection, that is what a day, what a day. I believe it. I don't understand it all, but I believe it. I trust his word. I believe every word is true. And he told me in this chapter twice. Look at verse 21. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And this is what we're going to go into next week. But go into the study of next week, 40 verses. Go into it, not having to understand it all. But ask the Spirit to reveal things that the Lord wants you to know that you are saying because you are you've heard the word peace you've you've been made strong you've been made courageous you dare say bring it on I don't want to stick my head in the sand anymore I want to be ready for this we are in the middle of God's plan right now and just when he has had enough it's all going to be over. Just like the kingdom of Babylon, just like the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, just like the Greek empire, just like the Roman empire, no one thought that empire would ever go down. Well, it sure did. But we're a part of a new kingdom that will never go down. That's how we can get up every morning. Even though we live in a culture that Satan is just using his, his messengers as pawns to try to create havoc, trying to get back at God. I don't, I don't like to be used, do you? <laughs> that's a terrible feeling when you know you're being used. But that's exactly what Satan is doing to people who think they're so powerful, who think they have so much authority. Just like what we've seen from Daniel 1 to 9. I think we've had enough proof. Now, in closing, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, a familiar passage, but if this is all going on around us, if things are not going to get better, if we're in the middle of God's plan until he says enough's enough, um, how, how do we how do we make it? How do we get up in the morning? How do we get through the day? How do we deal with, with overcoming life? Paul gives us this, the answer. He makes us know in verse 12 that there is a greater, there is a force going on that no, we can't see. We just see evidences of it on this earth. We just see, it's like this earth is a mirror of what's going on in the heavenly realms. And it looks like evil's winning right now. But we've, we've said that umpteen times as we've studied this book so far. Every, every empire, it got to the point where it looks like evil's winning. And it never does. And it never will. And so he makes sure you know Ephesians 6.12. Make you realize that this is what we're living in. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting the prince of darkness himself. And 
all of his, his uh, messengers in the heavenly realms. However, I may just sing it twice tonight. You have to remember greater. Greater is the power that's within you and I than the one that lives in this world. There is no greater power than the power that lives within us. The only, the only reason we fail and we get overcome, even people like Daniel, is when you disconnect for a little bit. You disconnect and you start looking at the problems and that they look bigger than big and you think this is hopeless. That's why we need to stay connected. We can't believe Satan's lies. We know who's already won. So tomorrow morning, this is how, being that we've, we've discussed reality, we've discussed what's going on. Um, now we have to know how are we going to get through tomorrow. So he said, therefore, verse 13, you have to put on. You have a responsibility. God did everything for you. He's done. He's given you everything. He's given you salvation. He's given you um, tools like his word, his spirit. You have no excuse at all. He said, you have to choose tomorrow morning. As sure as you put on clothes for the day, you better put on the full armor of God. And Peter, or Paul, puts, puts it so, I think he's so clever, and, and not, when I say clever, I mean it in a good way, because he, he helps us with our, our imaginations. You know, he says, you have to put on every piece, because when you put on the full armor, you will be covered from head to toe. And you need to be, you can't just be slipshod and say, well, you know, a couple pieces will do it. No, no, no. There is not one part of you. Satan is that tricky that if he sees one unprotected spot of you, whether it be your mind or your heart, he will go for it. And so that's why Paul says this. You have to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, well, it will be tomorrow. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, you stand firm then. You stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, you watch every piece of armor. It is so beautiful. Every piece of armor, you might as well say, put on Jesus, put on Jesus, put on Jesus. Is every piece of armor is Jesus, the belt of truth. You put that around your waist, start with that, because that is what holds everything up. And he said you got to stand firm, and a belt will keep everything up in its place. The belt of truth. You put that on. And what's the truth? God so loved this world that he gave us his son. <laughs> Remember I said our salvation verse is John 3, 16, but our, but our lifeline verse to continue in this is 2 Timothy 3, 16, that we know that God's word is what we need. We need to know the truth. You put on the belt of truth. Then you put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is Jesus. I mean, the breastplate covers your heart. Covers your heart, and that's the part of you that, that when you went to the cross, you gave him your heart. You gave him your soul. You gave him the inner you, the real you. 
And you need that protected. You put on Jesus. You, you let him cover your heart. And with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, that's Jesus. Get your feet firmly fitted in the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That shield, what do you really believe? What do you really trust? And what you, what you believe in and what you trust, you put that before you. And look what it says. Paul says there's not one of Satan's arrows that can get through that. When you check your belief system, you check how much you really do trust him. How much do you really believe what you've learned in Daniel so far? How much do you believe that his kingdom will come and will be your kingdom forever and ever? You make sure that you have the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and then take the helmet of salvation. You put Jesus over your head, your mind. Oh, that mind's a tricky bugger. And you need a helmet of salvation. You need to constantly be going to the cross. To me, the cross is for salvation, but I go to the cross a bazillion times a day because that is where I really see and I really am fortified, and I'm really strengthened. You put on that helmet of salvation over your mind. What does Paul say? You'd have to learn to take every, everything captive, every thought that goes through your head, well, through that mind of yours. You can't help it that things go through your mind. We live in a sinful world, but you can help it what you do with it. You have that helmet of salvation on. You take that thought to the cross. I'm telling you, it won't go any farther. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, this is your sword. You can either use this for your offensive weapon or your defensive weapon. This is the one part of the armor that you can work both ways. My Bible says, and it can work for proof going out, and it can secure you from within. The Word of of God, the sword of the Holy Spirit, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. In other words, he says, don't, don't disconnect. You stay praying all the time. Tell you, this is quite a lesson, but I, um, I wrote something on my paper here that I thought, you know, I know this is a tough world we live in, but we serve the greatest, greatest God ever, the one and only. And you talk about peace. You talk about strength. You talk about someone who can revitalize you, who can take your hopelessness and your helplessness and your overwhelmingness and, and your... And you're, I can't breathe, and I, I just don't have any strength. He can take all that, and he can revive you. Heavenly Father, I don't know what more to say on this Thanksgiving week to think we have all of this because of you. We deserve nothing. Lord, may we somehow in this week 
just comprehend, just stop, take some time and go over this in our minds, even take our Bibles, reread some of this. I know we laugh, but review is such a good thing. Lord, it reminds us that, that through the storm, through any storm, you are Lord of all. And we are sheltered. We are sheltered in the arms of God. Father, those are songs that we're going to sing. And Lord, may we, may we just sing them now, maybe understanding them in a deeper, deeper perspective that we have nothing to fear. When the Son of Man, when the man said to Daniel, do not be afraid, he meant it. Daniel was in exile. John was in exile. Don't be afraid, they keep saying. You're in living in tough times. They knew it. We know it. We're living in tough times. We have nothing to be afraid of. Because we have a God that is, well, he's, he's got a plan, and we're in the middle of it. May we be excited and, and thankful for that. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name, who can absolutely change how we live. In his name we pray. Amen.